Hey guys, it's Beth. This week, thank you for being here. This is a tough topic that we're going to tackle this week together. Sexual sin, infidelity, hiding behind a mask. And what I want to say to you all is, as I continue to read about this story with Neil, I didn't believe that the words I was reading about his story applied to him as a human. Neil is a true testimony of transformation, of what happens when you say to God, help me. I don't know that I've ever believed in you, but I need you now. This is a story of how God brings people in, in this case, Neil's wife, Amy, to demonstrate the compassion of Jesus, to demonstrate the unrelenting love and pursuit of forgiveness that Jesus has for each of us. I can't even do this intro justice, you guys. I just am very grateful that you're here to hear Neil's story, this very important message of becoming unmasked. Neil again wrote this new book called Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. Neil today will tell you that he does walk in victory after a very, very long road. So you guys, please do me the honor of welcoming Neil Getzlow to the show. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Remorselessly Biblical. I'm really glad you're here. You were the third male guest only, only number three. Wow. I, I, well, I feel very blessed and honored to be here speaking with you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really like honestly glad you're here. It's, it's so funny. I was telling somebody recently, I'm a big gender equity kind of person to ask anybody that knows me. And I'm like, wait, this seems hypocritical because like we only interview women on the show. What are we doing? <laughs> so long <laughs> well, overdue. Well, you know, I guess men can offer encouragement at times too. Well, absolutely. And along those lines, you have an incredible journey to share with us tonight. And so um, before we dive into that, one of the things that I always share with our viewers and listeners is how the person who's here with us, how he or she and I met, because big believer in God's providence. Like there are sometimes people on the show that I've known for 40 years that have just a ton of dirt and history on me. And like, oh, remember when you were in fifth grade and you were mean? I'm like, you're getting off the show. Um, But there are also people that just come into our lives having no former knowledge, no former relationship, and just kind of appear seemingly out of nowhere based on another relationship. And now at this point in my life, I recognize that's all God's doing. So how did you and I meet, Neil? (laughs) Well, uh, actually, so I um, met someone who was helping me sort of share my testimony with others. And she, she thrives on connecting people through relationships. And Julie uh, was able to connect us. Yes. Mutual acquaintance. Uh, otherwise, I never would have even been able to find you. Right. <laughs> to know that you were out here and had a had a platform. So uh, you're right. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like it's God's hand. Like I, throughout my journey over the past 18 months, God's hand has been, which I never saw before, but He's been guiding every step of the way. Not only in my actions and and how how my people around me have reacted, but just strangers coming in and and pushing us together. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Julie from Convergent Promotion. She's awesome. I think she recognizes and people that she meets right away. I know somebody who would really be valuable in hearing this person's story and then sharing it to the people that he or she, you know, is in contact with. And that's really how we got connected. So here, here's what I'll say to the folks that are watching. Um, I, I was shocked by Neil's story. I'm, I meet Neil because like Julie introduces us and I'm like, great, good guy and cool. And we got along conversationally. 
again, having not known his journey, his testimonies as he spoke about. And then he sent me his chapter one of his book that we're going to get into in a little bit. And I read it and I immediately went, huh, just like all of us, we don't know each other's journeys. We don't know what people have gone through. We, we don't know um, their hurts, their past, their overcoming stories. We don't know this until we're in relationship with somebody. So Neil, you have an incredible testimony and uh, it's a very important one. And I think I shared with you earlier that I know it's very uh, prevalent and in what you went through, I first just want to acknowledge your bravery and your, our appreciation for you showing up in the world and sharing it with us. So it's just, it's important. Thank you. Well, no, and thank you for, for giving me this opportunity. And I, I do feel very blessed and um, God is leading me to, he, he, I feel compelled to share my my story. It's it's not the prettiest of stories. And, and like you said, like anyone walking down the street or in my circle of friends and relationships a couple of years ago, like they never would have known all of the, the evil that was inside of me that was, that and then all the evil that I was bringing into my family, nobody knew. All they saw was this nice guy, hard worker, seems like a good dad, good family man. You know, yeah. What, what I can't believe there's a story there, but yeah, <laughs> but there is. Yeah, but there is. And I, I, when I hear you say that, I can just imagine um, I'm feeling the pain that you must have had to go through. You, you did go through to carry that all inside of you as you went through it. So let's start with, um, yeah. did you grow up? Uh, in a relationship with God? That's my question. Did you have a faith upbringing? Uh, no, zero relationship with God. Although I will say uh, I grew up in a very, I was, my mom was Jewish, so um, Jewish on my birth certificate, but really I was only Jewish by culture. So like a science, I would say I was in it for, for the jokes and the food basically, but that was <laughs> the only connection to the Jewish religion. But, you know, all my, I grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. All my friends were Jewish. They all got bar mitzvahed. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, I have some close cousins and, and relatives Jewish. Although, you know, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with them now. I haven't done that yet. But to see, like, how did they call themselves Jewish? But what does that really mean? Again, it was more cultural than it was having a relationship with God. So mm-hmm. this is, um, you know, my relationship with God didn't start until February of 2020. Yeah. So you, you grew up, spent many years of your life then sort of outside of any church or temple or relationship. You just were kind of living in the world, right? I mean, I thought I was an atheist, honestly. Oh, okay. Now I know people say to me, well, you probably really weren't an atheist because you really, (laughs) there's a lot, it's a lot harder to be an atheist than than maybe you think, but I, I truly didn't, didn't believe in God. And I didn't believe there was an afterlife. And I just thought we're here, we do our thing. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it's been quite it's been quite eye opening to finally have my have my eyes you know opened and to see the the truth that's out there. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. And if you're okay with it, I, I would love to just read the first couple paragraphs of this so that I can introduce people. Yeah. Now that they've heard you talk, so this is the part you guys where I read this and I went. I have to read this again. This is Neil's one-page bio. Neil Getzlow is a successful communications and public relations leader with more than 25 years of experience. Neil's career has taken him inside some of the biggest brands across the globe. But his world was shaken up by God in February 2020. Just a few weeks before a pandemic locked down the entire country, he was blackmailed by a prostitute that he had visited in Chicago on a business trip. 
This set off a wild chain of events in the weeks ahead that ultimately led Neil to unmask all of his sexual sins to God and to his wife, Amy. One year after taking off his mask, his old life is gone. I continued to read and I continued to just take pause. I'm trying to explain, right, on being on the receiving end of this information as I'm reading chapter one of your book. Your book is called Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. So when readers open this book, they know what it's about, clearly. But I can't, I don't even think, Neil, I can do it justice in words. The amount of emotion I felt on both sides, the amount of connectedness to Amy that I felt as a woman, and the amount of pain that I felt not only for her, but for you traversing this in the world. And as you beautifully explained, you're like, you know what? This was an addiction. I had a pornography and infidelity addiction, and I was trying to fill a void. So that's my lead in. I am going to leave this to you, my friend. No big deal, right? <laughs> but can you just honestly take us through whatever it is that you would like yeah. us to know further about this? Well, uh, yeah, I will say that um, I, I never would have believed that pornography and sex was an addiction. I just thought that was an excuse that people would use to sort of cover up all their transgressions, but it was just a way to get out of taking any accountability. But to me, that's what this journey has been about, which is, for me, it's been understanding what caused, I, I had a hole in my heart for most of my life that I could not fill up until until God, I found God. So, you know, I had to go back in time and figure out why that hole was there. And then also, then toward this part of the story, it, it's about taking accountability. You know, as, as I kind of rest in the word and and, and, and pray to God about the journey that I've been on. The one word that comes top of mind is always accountability. And it's time for men and women to, if they're, if you know, whatever your addiction is, whether it's sexual nature, drugs, alcohol, gambling, you've got to take accountability. It's, it's nobody's fault. I mean, I can blame my parents. I can blame Amy. I tried to blame Amy blame friends, all that. But really at the end of the day, this was, this was on me to, um, to admit my, my sinful nature. Right. And, um, you know, when I, I was first exposed to pornography at the age of nine, there was a wooded area behind my elementary school called the Playboy Forest. And in that area scattered all around were like ripped up bits of Playboy centerfold. It wasn't the full magazine, but it gave you enough images that that just it sucked me in it grabbed hold of my life at that point in my head and it, it just it didn't let go for 40 years and um so that that's where it started um i grew up in the the teenager in the early 80s was a typical latchkey kid uh, my parents got divorced i moved into an apartment with my mom but she um went to you know she went to work so i was home alone quite a bit and on either side of her nightstand, there were two stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. And so as, as a teenager, you know, with, with nobody home, uh, no friends that were around, like that's, that's how I started to fill up this hole in my heart. And it's interesting, I, you know, obviously God 
everything has to start with God. And I had to ask for his help to, to get through this. But I also, you know, for those out there that are, that are struggling, like you also need to talk to a faith-based counselor. And that's, that's what I did. Someone who understood, who was a, who was a believer, who understood where I was coming from and, and was able to, to, to come at it from that perspective. And the first question he asked me when we started talking was, what is the first thing you remember that you had to learn how to do as a, as a child? It was an interesting question. I had never been asked that before and thought about it for a second. And like it just instantly came to me. I had to be, learn mm -hmm. how to be alone. And that, that, was, that started this shame cycle for me was that, you know, I'm alone. Nobody loves me. Um, I have this hole in my heart I need to fill. <clears throat> I fill it with pornography. I feel guilty about it. This is the reason nobody loves me. And then the cycle just goes on and on and on. And um, ultimately, as you said, it, it led me to a hotel room in February 2020 on a business trip in Chicago where I set up an a, appointment with um, a prostitute. And during the, at the end of the appointment, as I'm getting ready to leave, a, a gentleman walks out of the other room, looked like an offensive lineman from the Chicago Bears, dressed in drag, comes out holding his cell phone, shows me and says, uh, you need to pay us more money or we're going to contact your wife, Amy. And so, you know, my first reaction was, okay, I, I, I'm not going to die in a hotel room. I got to do whatever it takes to get out. $900 later, I get out of the room. I go on with my day. Nope. I'm able to just bottle it up. Nobody knows that I've just been blackmailed by a prostitute. Um, make it home to Kansas City. And then three days later, Sunday, March 1st, 2020, um, about 9.30 p.m., I'm working in my office and suddenly my phone starts blowing up and it's text messages from this couple. And they say, you have 15 minutes uh, to pay us more money or we're going to call Amy. And again, they sent a picture of her contact information to me. <clears throat> well, I'm thinking, like, there's no way they're gonna, like, there's no way they're gonna call. Why would they call? Because once they did, there'd be, there'd be no more money for me. Well, what, what I failed to realize though is they likely had probably other victims out there that they were likely getting money from. So when they had no use for me, they hit the nuclear button and at exactly 945, they called Amy. And that, that was the first, that was the first encounter that I had with God. Now, but, but it still took two additional, I like to say two by four, gentle two by fours to the head before I finally um, kind of understood that he was getting my attention for a very specific reason. Yeah. Yeah. And can I ask a couple questions about yeah, Amy, if I may? Yeah. So when yeah, I, I read, please. I read more about this. I read Amy is a very solid Christian woman, right? Like lifelong believer in Jesus. Is that true? Well, she, she actually was raised Catholic. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, she too. was a believer, but kind of lukewarm. Okay. And when, uh, before we got married, we both were living a very sinful life together. So we were out partying, drinking, having a great time, enjoying everything that the world has to offer. She came, found, found Jesus and became born again three months after we got married. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So when you, when you and she were dating, how long did you guys date before you got married? Well, that's a great question. So we were, it was probably four or five years. 
lot of party in four to five years. I'm kidding. Four years. Yeah. Four years. Four to, okay. Four years. When, I was going to say four years. And were you, um, it's a direct question, were you cheating on Amy in those four years? In that, no. Okay. Okay. No. And so, I, you know, I, I had, um, so this addiction kind of pornography kind of ebbs and flows. Um, and I, you know, I've been married previously. It, it, it happened during that marriage. It ultimately led to infidelity that ended that marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at that point, then I sort of, it kind of went away. It's interesting when, when Amy told me that she was born again, like as an atheist, again, considered myself an atheist. I was like, I was blown away. Like, what have you just done to our marriage? Oh. And for, it almost, in a way, it started that shame cycle back up because I just like, all right, she, she loves Jesus more than she loves me. I'm not worthy to be loved, on and on. And, and I, sadly, I blamed her for, you know, for the reason why I, I turned to porn and ultimately infidelity. And again, that's when I talk about accountability. I mean, that is so messed up now when I look back and think about it, it's not obviously it's it's not her fault it's the accountability is inside my heart it's inside me and um it, that's been um yeah it's that's it, as i look back on, on every all the evil that i brought that is one of the, the harsher realities that you know i i i i treat i persecuted amy because of her beliefs yeah, and do you think think that came from just a place of fear? Like you probably it triggered some sense of loneliness. Like when you said when that counselor asked you, "What's the first memory you have?" and it was like, "I had to learn how to be alone." And and for somebody who didn't really know Jesus, and now you your wife is saying, "I am born again. I love Jesus." You, you perhaps maybe were triggered to feel like I'm alone again. Like if she's not with me because her love is going elsewhere, what where does that leave me? Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. And I and I didn't understand. And she changed. You know, she let a, she became a very Christian, godly woman. And so your life changes, <laughs> as I now can attest. Yes. And I, I mean, I would go out with friends, and I would say, I think Amy's gone crazy. And and now I those friends have said the same thing to me mm-hmm. um, by by their actions, like. Neil has lost it. <laughs> no, I actually have found it. <laughs> yeah. That's like the best testimony, I think, by our actions, right? It's like preach the gospel yeah. and when necessary, use words. I went back to my 20th year reunion, high school reunion, maybe 10 years ago now. And somebody goes, good to see you. We hear you're a Jesus freak these days, you know, because they knew me when I was 15 and I was not at all like that. Um, mm-hmm. And change is the best, truest testimony, right? And Jesus doesn't yeah. give up on us. Like he just continues. God pursues us until he's like, look, I'm not giving up on you. You may not know me today, but at some point you will seek, knock, here I am, right? My question, I guess, at this point, Neil, is when you were dating Amy, um, having you were married before, as you attested, and that marriage ended because of infidelity, did you tell Amy that you had been unfaithful in your first marriage? No, I didn't. Not like a conversation starter? No. Yeah, just, you know, I look back there. Yeah. I feel so bad. But, you know, like, um, I sold her a bill of goods. Wow. Right? Again, I have this mask on. And, you know, I do remember one of the questions she asked on uh, our first date was, "Are do you do you watch sports? Are you a big sports fan? And my answer was, well, you know, I watch it. You know, I watch it sometimes. But, you know, I'm not a huge fan. Which is a complete and total 
like why because that that was a is I, I kind of articulated in, in my book like sports was another just it, it, it turned into idolatry for me. Mm. And I was worshiping my sports teams and my sports heroes more than, and obviously I had more than worshiping God at all at the time, but I had my priorities so, so messed up. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's how I, that was what I was basing my identity on was how good my sports team was, how good my job was, how much money I was making, how big my house was. That was my identity up until last year. And that, then my and it became a child of God and, and everything yeah, changed. Yeah. And do you feel like I do that, that what you just described is so rampant in our society, right? I mean, I, I know so many people in my immediate life, my extended life, my acquaintances, just, I know a lot of people who um, put so much value on that, the worldly, right? What, what do people see yeah. when they see me? Do they see the perfect social media picture? Do they see my status, my title? Um, what are we so afraid of to put down the mask? You know, is it that if somebody sees who we really are, we won't be valued and loved? Yeah, I think for me, that's, I, I certainly put yeah. all my, my worthiness on what other people thought of me. Yeah. And now that, that pendulum has swung completely the opposite where I now I think, like, <laughs> find it hard to care about anything going on in the world, which is probably not a good idea either. But I, you know right, you know what I mean? Like, like yes. I, I still watch sports, but it is now just, it is truly just entertainment. It is not a life or death event for me. I don't, you know, I don't need to escape to the bars and, and drink and do shots. It, it just, cause that's, you know, that's how people identified me with the fun loving meal. But yeah. like, I just have to, it's, I, and it's so hard to explain because I, I mean, I truly had no idea this was coming my way and to, if you ask the Neil of two years ago, what the Neil of today looks like, he would be stunned. Like, how does this, how does this transformation happen in such a short amount of time? And it, it's still, that's why I have to feel compelled to share my testimony because if it can happen to someone like me, um, I, maybe I wasn't in the top 10 of sinners, but I had to be in like the top, top thousand. Uh, if it could happen to me, it could, it can absolutely happen to, to anybody in this world. Yeah. I think that's what we all think. We, we hide behind that shame and that narrative yeah. in our head that we are the worst possible sinner that God has ever known. And we're, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, give me a break. He's like, this is not, this is not new yeah. to me, kids. This is not new to me, kids is what God's thinking. So yeah. what was that turning point? Um, can you take us through how Amy found, well, you said that yeah. these folks who blackmailed you yeah. called her, then, then what happened? Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I told Amy that was the first time that anything ever like that happened before. So, you know, she begrudgingly accepted accepted that. We tried to move on, and uh, about six weeks later, oh, and I should also say, at that time, then the pandemic hit. So now we're we're locked down together in in the house, so we have nothing to do but work on, sort of work on our issues. So it made a very awkward first six weeks. Um, but yeah, so about mid-April though, there those old urges came back and. Uh, I set up an appointment to meet someone who I'd been um, seeing in Kansas City, paying for sex in Kansas City. And usually when I, uh, and I do this on, on my text messages, but it's synced up to my computer. But, but usually when I leave the house, like I make sure I lock my computer. It's like Amy can't get in. Um, all my secrets are safe. There's no way the secret life can become, uh, you know, unmasked, if you will. 
But for whatever reason, I still can't figure out how. That day I left to go meet this other person, I left my laptop unlocked. And immediately, as soon as I left the house, Amy was on my computer and found these messages. And then she texted them to me and was like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, and I'm just like, I was actually on my way to dinner with my son. And he said, it was the most awkward dinner I've ever had with you because you were a million miles away. And what I was doing was I was trying to spin my story. Mm. Well, how am I going to keep this mask on? How am I going to continue to evade the truth? Ultimately made it back home uh, to Amy. I don't even remember what lie I told her, but whatever it was, she didn't buy it. And before we went to bed that night, she's like, she said, if, if you want to save this marriage, you need to ask God for help. And I had never done that before. So we went to bed, woke up the next morning. Amy was gone. I didn't know where she didn't say goodbye. I didn't know where she was. So I was like, well, this is as good a time as any to pray for the first time. And that's exactly what I did. And I said, God, I, I need help. Like, I, I don't know. How, I can't stop this. I don't know what I'm doing. Just give me a sign that there's, there's help out there, that there, that there is a way out. And as soon as I finished the prayer, the garage door opened, and it was Amy. Didn't realize, I realized it at the time, but, uh, you know, Amy's the key to this whole story. So she comes home. I said, we, you know, I said, I prayed, you know, I want to work on things. And she begrudgingly agreed. We go on. And, and then two hours later, she gets this random message from a, some guy on Facebook that says, do you know Anil gets slow? Well, I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I felt this overwhelming need to finally confess my sins to Amy. I was like, something's happening, something's going on, it's time to get the truth out. And I sat Amy down and, and I told her, I, I confess that, you know, over the past five years, that I've been addicted to pornography and, and paying women to have sex. And, you know, you don't know what to expect at that point. Um, but Amy looked up at me and she said, Neil, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for wow. yours? I forgive wow. you. Wow. What, what did that do and That was to the you? moment. How did you receive that? Did you cry? We both cried. We, we hugged each yeah. other. We both cried. And that is like, I, I look back on it now. That wasn't Amy talking to me. That was Jesus talking to me through Amy. And that, that moment transformed my life. Um, I have not looked at pornography once since that day. I have not been tempted to, you know, um, to go out and, and do any of the other activities that I once did. They were, they all vanished. And I know I feel, you know, I'm incredibly lucky that God blessed that on me. I know so many others have struggled with it. Um, but that's why, you know, thing that I tell people now is you've just got to pray about it and ask God for help. Because that's what Amy did for eight years. Eight years she prayed for my soul, asking for me to be saved. And I know at times she must have wanted to give up and wow. just be like, shake, you know, throw up her hands like, I can't do this anymore. Like he just, he doesn't get it. But her, her patience and her prayers, they were answered. Yeah. And it probably, I imagine in listening to the story, you, you needed continual, um, validation, confirmation, you needed to know that you were seen for who you are and that you were not alone and that she truly loves you for you in spite of all of this. And it's almost, I can't even imagine 
the level of you thinking, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this woman's love, right? Because it, you had yeah. to have some sort of life, like just self-incrimination, just like self-hatred almost, right? Like, I, did you feel that yeah. way? Well, you, you do because you, I mean, there are times even now, like th that I just sit back and think, how could I, I who is that person? Who was that person? Yeah. How could I have done that? How could I bring this this amount of evil into my into my marriage, to my family, to my friends? It was um, it, sometimes it is it is hard to think that way. And you know, it's interesting because Amy asked me several months down the road. She's like, "If the situation was reversed, good question." And she was the one that had admitted this to me. What would my reaction have been? And I think prior to February of 2020, my reaction would have been not so good. I, I don't know if I would have had, I, I know I wouldn't as a non-believer, there would have been no way I would have been able to, to offer that type of grace and mercy and forgiveness mm -hmm. uh, to something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, I think that only comes with a believer in Jesus. Yeah. And I love the part where you say, you know, that when she said those, she looked up at you after you said, I've been doing this for five years, five years, however long it was, not just a yeah. one-time occurrence. Yeah. And I want to actually go back to that. When you said that when, when yeah. you were sort of found out the first time and, and somebody called her, this couple from the Chicago hotel called her, and mm -hmm. did you just immediately Neil go into sort of this sort of like cover up spinning story anything you could do to like throw whatever at a wall right to get yourself out of the situation and to perpetuate yep. the lies like this isn't nope not me somebody's got this wrong right you were just like lying your way through this right it was it was self-defense basically like yeah. I, I completely like came up with any story i could and here's another thing that my my counselor helped me understand because amy would always you know for over these most of the years of our marriage i was very especially over the last five years when I was, was hiding these secrets, I was not a very good communicator, no surprise. Uh, but there, my counselor's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised because your mind was so full of lies that it took all of your focus and energy just to keep the lies straight. You didn't have time to think about anything else. You didn't have time to carry on a, a truly um, meaningful conversation with Amy or with my my kids or my friends or family. It was all surface level because that's all I could absorb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so right. Like it's just, and so now I will say our marriage is in, is a complete 180. Like we have the, we put God at the center of our relationship and it's changed everything. And I, you know, if you're, if, if there are people out there that are struggling, the marriages that are struggling, put God back in the center of your relationship, pray together and, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, and it hasn't been, and there are bumps, lots of bumps along the way, ups and downs, but uh, there's just something when when you're able to pray together and and worship God together. I, I know it's, it's hard to explain, but it's just uh, it just brought us it brought us together in ways that I never would have thought I would ever experience in a relationship. Right. Never, I, I never have, and it's you know, I just uh, I pre you know, I, I thank God that he he gave you know, and it's it is kind of crazy that this all happened in 2020 during the middle of the pandemic because not only did he expose my secrets, but then he also took away my sports, he also took away my drinking and my bars, 
And every, every other sinful activity out of the house, you took that away. Yeah. And said, this is it. This is your chance to reset one time. And it's like, well, I'm going to take yes, advantage of it. Yes, good for you. Neil, what advice would you give anybody out there who perhaps knows somebody like this in their life, um, who is uh, still wearing the masks, going through exactly what you went through? And um, to, I guess, if, if someone would have come to you when you were in the middle of perpetuating the lies over that five-year window and that journey where you kept doing this, but you never told anybody and you were lying about it, if you, you would have lied about it, what advice do you have for people that are trying to reach this person to say, you, what are you doing? Right. What, this is not you. You've got to stop. You've got to stop lying. You, you cannot, you can't do this any longer. But if that person refuses to tell the truth when they're confronted, what, what advice do you have? I don't know really if people know how to traverse alongside somebody who's struggling with this. Well, and, and certainly in the case of, of, of Christians and, and believers, certainly I think we have a we have a responsibility to let people know when they're falling short of of God's glory, and and I think it, it starts with with trying to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone. But if they're not, you know, not receptive, then you know, how do you bring in others to have this conversation um, with someone? And and also I think too, if if you're talking about you know a spouse and a and a husband and a wife, you know, that was one of the you've got to bring it, you've got to build in some accountability in that, in that relationship. You know, I never gave Amy access to my phone. I didn't give her access to any of my passwords. Like if you, and she always said she had a sense that something was going on, but she could never figure out what it was. Like if you sense that something is going on, and I know this is probably directed more towards the, the, the spouses that are, you know, in the situation and trying to deal with someone who's addicted with the sex or pornography. Like if you, if you're, think that someone's involved with this, like you've got to call them out on it and you've got to get access to their phones and you'll know right away what your answer is, right? Like if, because if Amy would have done that to me three or four years ago, I would have probably immediately ran to the bathroom and flushed my phone down the toilet before, you know, accidentally drop it into the toilet before any of that information would have, would have gotten out. So you'll know right away, but you just got to be, you've got to be prepared though, for what happens when, when you find out the truth mm -hmm. and when you have your answer. And, you know, again, I just, that's the thing that I just, you know, you have the strength to be able to forgive because if you can get, if you can forgive, um, again, it, it's not necessarily make everything go away. It doesn't mean that, that for me, it didn't mean that I didn't have to take accountability for my actions and I didn't have to answer questions far from it, mm -hmm. but it, it just, you, when you hang on, this is what one of our pastors at church told us along the way. Like when you hang on to that resentment and bitterness, it just, it destroys your relationship. But when, you know, Amy forgiving me was far from Amy's point of view, it was more, I think mentally it was almost, you know, it was big for her because she could let yes. go. Yeah. When we forgive, she didn't have to carry Absolutely. it. When we forgive, yeah. it's for us. It, yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah right. And, and it's so, because with whatever wrong has come at us, especially in relationships, we, we want to just hang on to that anger and that grief. And we do not want to forgive because it's interesting because the second that we do offer forgiveness, like Jesus forgives us and calls us to do, then it's almost like in some situations, that's the only thing that 
exists between those two people is that situation. And so it's almost like when you don't forgive, you're just trying to hang on to something because you're afraid of once this is out of our life and out of our discussion point, then, Mm -hmm. then where does that leave us? Like if this drama, if this giant looming elephant in all the rooms goes away, what are we looking at here? Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to rebuild. Yeah. You've got to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. And with that comes, you have to unmask and you've got to show up vulnerably and you have to be transparent and you have to be like, look, I don't know who I am. And perhaps I never did, but yeah. I, I want to rebuild this with you going forward. And I just, I'm, I'm so, I don't know, Amy, but I'm so happy that you two are like working through this because the <laughs> strength that she has had to exude and praise God, right? Because had she not been born again and you guys this would have happened there's no way i don't think you'd still be together none no i I don't think we would have been together and i'm pretty confident that my my addictions were leading me down darker and darker paths where ultimately i I, something something sinister would have happened to me maybe Mm. i get you know a knife to the back whatever i drive drunk home which i did more than i would you know more than i care to admit like at some point my actions would have caught up with me um, if we, if Amy didn't forgive me and we just went on our separate ways and, mm. you know, it's, um, so it's, it's amazing what the power of forgiveness can do for someone, but it absolutely transformed my life. And, and like I said, our marriage is, it's, um, it's, it's incredible right now. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's also interesting to hear Amy talk about it because she's, she's so humble. Like, because we went to a, we went to a, um, a Christian convention earlier this summer and met a lot of um, media people, and they were just like, just in awe of Amy and her story. And I think she was embarrassed because she felt like it wasn't like I didn't do anything all that big. Well, I mean, she did. Yeah. So I'm like, she's she's just it's. Um, I I mean, I'm just incredibly proud of her. I'm, I'm, proud to be her husband uh just uh, because yeah she I sounds mean, like an amazing woman yeah so do you going forward for from an accountability yeah. perspective is it just amy that you leon or, i mean i imagine like you know when you equate this to um alcoholism and people are in aa for yeah. life so what do you put in place for this to ensure that going forward this doesn't sort of ebb and flow again back into your life yeah again i've, I've been very fortunate very blessed that God wiped away these sins for me instantly. That that those sexual sins they disappeared, mm. and I don't I don't have any of those urges. I, I, I truly don't. Now there are things though that um, that I have changed. Like I've I've had to make some changes in relationships. You know I'm I'm not going out to the bars with the guys anymore, yep. and and having those drinks because that would lead that would often be a path to some of these sexual sins. So, so that part is gone. Um, we canceled Netflix. Like, like that Netflix is, you know, just corrupts your mind. That's one of my, my favorite things to say now is, is cancel culture first before it cancels you. Like get, we, we fill ourselves up with so much garbage in this world that just taints our mind. Like if you wanted to get healthy, you, you eat a salad. Well, if you want to get mentally healthy, are you going to sit down and binge on Netflix for six hours? Or are you going to watch, you know, listen to someone preach online? That's the most, one of the most incredible things to me is instead of 
spending all day Sunday watching the NFL, which I used to do. I'm watching online sermons. Wow. And we're going to church and we're reading the Bible. Like that's how you, that to me, that's the accountability. That's how I, I don't, I don't, there's nothing, there's no room left in my heart for anything because it is filled with God. Wow. And that's how you, that's to me, that's how you stay accountable. I have nothing. I have nothing to add to that, Neil. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing. What? Where can people find you? Talk to us about your book and like what's next for you. Yeah. So this is um, yes. uh, this is uh, the book. You can find it on my website if you go to neilgetslow.com um, and, and purchase the book there. We're going to donate five dollars for every sale to Run to Stop It, which is a uh, anti-sex trafficking organization that our church runs, and they're they, they're looking to end human trafficking and sex trafficking in the United States. So it's an organization we're very passionate about, as you might imagine. So um, if you check out my website, you can find the book there. You can also look on amazon.com as well, if that's easier too. And you know, what's next is um, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, what is, what is, what is next for me? And, um, and I mentioned to you this earlier, like I, I wanna help, I wanna help men take accountability because I think we've men have lost that. We've lost taking accountability of, of what we put out in this world and, and how we let the world impact us. And I just wanna, you know, I just wanna offer hope and encouragement. Like this is, I don't know if you remember the movie, uh, Oh God from the 1970s, John Denver, George Burns. Like this is my Oh God moment. Like, <laughs> like I just wanna bring hope and encouragement to people. Like no matter what you're facing, no matter how dark it may seem, there absolutely is a way out. There, there is. And, um, and so I hope that I know God will lead us to that path. And, and hopefully we have more opportunities to be able to, to share that. that good yes. news with Thank everybody. you so much. And on behalf of women, I, I am like absolutely thanking you. I love the part where you say you just want to encourage men to take accountability. And again, this isn't to point fingers or, or judge or blame, but it is to say that anytime any of us can show up in the world and give back through our experiences to encourage people to kind of avoid going down a path that you know leads to destruction then I just praise God for that. And thank you for doing it. Thank you for sharing with us and, um, and being here with us today, Neil. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for, for letting, us, letting me share our testimony. We appreciate it. Guys, thank you for being here this week. I know it was a tough topic. I am wowed, wowed by Neil's story. As I told him multiple times, I'm very grateful for him to join us, to share authentically. I asked him before the interview, I'm like, Neil, are any questions off the table here? He said, no ask me anything. I want to share. I want to continue to help give back. I want to hold men accountable. I think he wants to hold all of us accountable in this world because for so long he felt like he wasn't worthy to be in this world. He wasn't worthy of receiving love well. And he reached for his drug of choice, if you will, which again was pornography and infidelity. And it's easy for us in this world, isn't it? To judge others by their drug of choice. When people drink, and they drink excessively to numb out the pain, to try and fill that unfillable, other than God, void. When people drink, we don't say much. I mean, we have our thoughts. We're like, well, they shouldn't be doing that. He or she's an alcoholic. But then we just keep on going. But when somebody says, I used to pay people for sex. I, I have been unfaithful. I have a pornography problem. We instantly feel um, a lot more emotion about that, a lot stronger reaction about that. And I'm very grateful to Neil 
that he has the strength and the courage to show up and speak in churches and speak to us and to say, it's not who I am. Those, those actions were actions that I was doing. I felt guilty for, I'm not proud of, but I didn't know Jesus when I was doing those things. And when God put somebody in my life, Amy, my wife, Amy, who demonstrated his compassion. He said, you guys heard him on the show say, I knew those were not Amy's words saying, I forgive you. That was Jesus. That's all Neil needed. He says he has no more desire to live life like that. It's almost as if that was a completely different person, a completely foreign concept to him and the man that he is today. So we thank Jesus for him. We thank you for being here. As always, you guys continue to be remorseless on your journeys as Neil is doing. He's living without guilt in spite of wrongdoing because he knows he's been forgiven. You guys, please go to the podcast, The Remorseless Podcast, subscribe, rate it, share it with people. This is an important message and I'm grateful to all of you. I hope it was an encouragement to show up and be the person that God created you to be, even if there's an old version of you that you're not so sure what to do with. Rewatch this show. Listen to Neil. All right, you guys, thank you for being here and I will see you next week. Peace.